Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and integrated well-being. Let's get to it. Here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. In my day-to-day life, as I go out in the world and work with people who are challenged by addiction, trauma, life crises, really milestones in their lives, I'm often asked, well, how do I, how do I make meaning out of what has happened? How do I discover my life's purpose? Or maybe they don't even know that that is what they are looking for. But today we are talking about that. And I have the great good fortune and honor of speaking with somebody who influenced me as a young lass decades ago. And that is Dan Millman. He is the author of numerous books read by millions of people in 29 languages. He teaches worldwide, speaking to men and women from all walks of life, including leaders in the fields of health, psychology, education, business, politics, sports, entertainment, and the arts. And the book that I'm talking about that so influenced me is The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, which came out around 1980. But he's got a new book that I am also holding in my hands and enjoying, and that is The Four Purposes of Life, Finding Meaning and Direction in a Changing World. Welcome, Dan Millman. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you, Lisa. Glad to be here with you. Well, this is this is terrific for me because I was that young college student back, you know, when a long time ago, um, enrolled to become an architect and realized that I was on the wrong path, that I was on the journey that others thought that I should be on and not on the one that was, in essence, my calling. And you had had a similar experience um, being a college athlete and coach and began writing books about personal and spiritual growth, but then your purpose took over, or you discovered or enhanced your purpose. Talk about that a little bit. Well, I wish I could present it as some light bulb moment. Those are always very dramatic, getting smacked alongside the head by an oar or something. But actually, uh, it was a gradual process, uh, more intuitive or spontaneous, more improvisational than strategic on my part. 
But I did always, I stayed open to what's interesting to me. So many of us can get confused, as you, as you hinted at, um, by the, between the difference between what we think we should do or someone else expects us to do and what we really want to do, what our heart calls us to. Um, so I was always open to that. And who would have guessed that my liking to jump up and down on a trampoline as a kid would have led to my entire career as a, a gymnast, getting a scholarship to Berkeley, a college coach, gymnastics, and then on to a professorship at Oberlin College. I, all those things started out because I loved to jump up and down on a trampoline. I didn't dismiss it. You know, I just did it, and I followed what my interests were. I once gave my daughter some idealistic advice, but I think it still holds. I said, do what you love and get someone to pay you for it. Now, that... That may be a bit idealistic. Amen. <laughs> but that's the ideal. I, I believe each of us can can make what feels like good money for us, uh, trading our talents, our intelligence, our energy. Um, we can make good money doing what we basically enjoy, find suitable, uh, while serving other people. And all three are important. So, of course, that's really addressing the second purpose in the four purposes of life. And let's get into your new book, The Four Purposes of Life, Finding Meaning and Direction in a Changing World. What are the four purposes of life? Simply put, um, the first is learning life's lessons. The second is finding your career and calling and understanding the difference between the two sometimes. The third purpose is a bit more complicated and mysterious. It's called finding your life path. And I give a very specific way. I'll tell your listeners a, a way to get a free glimpse immediately uh, into that life path. And the fourth purpose may be the most important one of all. It's attending to your purpose in this arising moment. So those are the four and summary. But, you know, it's never that interesting looking at a menu of a meal or a list. Um, I, I need to say that regarding life purpose, a friend of mine when I was writing the book said, Dan, I know the purpose of life. It's learning to love. I mean, whatever the question, love is the answer. And, I, you know, I couldn't argue with that. That's a great purpose for life. And a, another friend said, wait a minute, isn't our purpose awakening, realization, uh, uh, enlightenment? Uh, and another friend said, I think, you know, our purpose really biologically is keeping the species going, reproducing. Um, and all of them were correct. But just as we can divide the, the points on a compass into four primary directions and, and the days of the year, let's say, into four seasons, by looking at our lives through the lens of these four purposes, um, it gives more clarity and and a sense of meaning. Uh, our lives start to count for something. We know we're on track, whether we think we are or not. So that's why I ended up writing the book. It, it, it also puts much of my book and numerous of my other books into context um, because this really kind of puts all the pieces of the puzzle together. So even though it's a small book, about 150 pages, as you've noticed, there's quite a bit in it. Well, it, it is a it's a very easy read, first of all, and it's it, it is one of these handbooks for life that I will be putting on the coffee table in my office when I arrive there tomorrow um, and and watching what clients do when they pick it up and rifle through it. Yeah, it could be interesting what section they open to because well, at it, different points we're interested in different things. Exactly. And if one is just struggling to get out of bed each day, the, the sense of purpose is vastly different than somebody who has a creative idea that they want to give birth to. 
Yes, very much so. Um, and, and the book I find is even is most helpful for people in some transition in their life, graduating from school, uh, retiring, um, changing jobs, changing relationships, wondering what life is about. We all hit those points where where am I going? Where have I been? Where am I going? And it's especially helpful. Uh, at those points. Now, since your program is Harvesting Happiness, I, I, I need to say, for those who've seen the Peaceful Warrior movie based on my first book with Nick Nolte playing the old man I called Socrates, um, uh, that seemed to give the message that uh, the, my entire message is about happiness. And in one sense, that's true because anything we're seeking in life, better relationship, more money, more travel, winning the lottery, I mean, whatever it is, that seems to promise it's going to make us happy. And there are other words for happiness, satisfaction, fulfillment, uh, peace. Um, so it seemed to me that our lives, neither you nor I, Lisa, are, are telling people that the end point of human evolution is just walking around with a gleeful smile on our face like some little personal experience. Happiness <laughs> is something, it's a discipline. It's something we, we radiate, right? Um, I know you've told your listeners this for sure. Um, and, and in fact, Socrates once said, you know, there are a lot of reasons to be unhappy. Just read the newspapers. And there are not a lot of mental reasons to feel happy. He said, that's why I recommend unreasonable happiness. Uh, just to radiate, to smile, to bring that to other people. You know, I ride the subway a lot in New York City, and I've had some of the most interesting conversations. People actually talk to you sometimes on the subway. Um, and so if you radiate that, we all know the feeling when we've been happy about something or the other. We tend to be more expansive, kinder to people, more open. Uh, other times we sort of contract. So to me, the better part of happiness is having a sense of meaning, that our lives count for something and purpose and connection with ourself, with other people, and maybe even with the transcendent. So that's why the book is about that bigger picture. Indeed. And I, and I do like that you point out that happiness certainly is not walking around grinning every day. And in fact, the happiness is not the destination or the uh, achievement of a goal. It really, it, yes, that pleases us and we do derive satisfaction. But I would think that most of us, myself included, uh, do derive joy in the journey. And it's when we can slow down and really begin to be awakened to what is around us when we're on the road to wherever it is that we're going. And we might not know where we're going, but if we have that sort of beginner's mind as we approach the journey, that too um, breeds happiness or cultivates a sense of joy. To me, that's a primary. Uh, in fact, um, in the Peaceful Warrior movie, there's a scene in the movie where Dan and Socrates walk to the top of this big hill, and they're both, you know, breathing heavily and reaching the top. And Dan has this realization that it's, you know, and we've all heard it, it's the journey that makes us happy, not the destination. Um, but I also point out that without a destination in mind, there is no journey. We just wander around. And that's why a purposeful life can be so useful. My opening quote in the book, Robert Burns said, the purpose of life is a life of purpose. So exactly. when we, if we're at point A, having a point B really is helpful. In fact, I would define success, a meaningful definition of success is having a meaningful goal we're moving toward. I didn't say reaching, I just said moving toward. 
Exactly. Exactly. We're going to go to a break. And when we come back, we're going to carry on the discussion on the poor, the four purposes of life, finding meaning and direction in a changing world with my guest, Dan Millman. To connect with him, please visit PeacefulWarrior.com. On Twitter, that handle is at P. W Dan and the PW stands for Peaceful Warrior. And on Facebook, you can look him up. There's a fan page for Dan Millman and the Peaceful Warrior. Here come those tunes. We'll be right back. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Love to read? Looking to harvest your happiness? Then look no further. Lisa Cypress Kamen is an author of three amazing books that will assist in taking your well-being and self-mastery to the next level. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life offers breakthrough strategies for creating your own personal happiness revolution. Perspectives on addiction and integrated journey to wellness is an overview of the recovery process from a multi-stepped perspective and holistic approach of substance abuse and lifestyle management. Through her third book, Reintegration Strategies for Depression, Anxiety, Anger, Grief, and Post-Traumatic Stress, offers an own nonsense approach to dealing with post-combat civilian life reintegration issues for veterans and their families. You'll find these books online at Amazon.com and HarvestingHappiness.com. Mindful meditative moments are free and relaxing on-the-spot mini staycation journeys designed to calm the mind and soothe the body from the comfort of wherever you are. No reservations or travel required. Check out the playlists on HarvestingHappiness.com and Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes and SoundCloud. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because we're talking about the four purposes of life, finding meaning and direction in a changing world with Dan Millman, who some of you may know as the author of The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. So Dan, prior to, uh, or in the last segment rather, we were talking about the four purposes in life, and we were talking about cultivating a sense of Passion, purpose, place, and meaning is what we call it on this show. Mm -hmm. Well, yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and, and that is our curriculum, isn't it? Well, it is. Uh, in the first purpose of life, um, learning life's lessons, it sounds a little bit droll, a little bit mundane. Oh, yes, I know. We learn from life experience. Yes, we're here to learn lessons. It sounds so school marmy, you know, school marmish. But actually, it's quite exciting and there's much more to this picture about learning life's lessons. What I'm suggesting by putting that as the first purpose, one we all share, is that it's impossible to fail at anything, relationship, work, business, if you've learned a lesson, because that's not just the icing on the cake. That's what it's all about. We're here 
souls evolving. In fact, I would suggest, I would propose that Earth is a divine or a perfect school and daily life is our classroom. And every day we have the opportunity to learn something through our relationships, through our, our challenges in school and life and physical things that come up. Um, so what I'm saying is no one actually needs to read my book or books or anyone else's or go to seminars to, to evolve as a human being because daily life is guaranteed to teach us everything we need to continue evolving and learning as human beings. But someone might ask, well, then why do you write books, Dan? And why do you teach seminars? Because a good book or seminar, a good influence can help us to learn those lessons of daily life with a little less pain uh, and a little more grace. And that's why I write and speak. So beautifully said. You know, and I want to ask you about naysayers and skeptics, because there are a lot of people in the world who have experienced a lot of challenges and perhaps are feeling very stuck in their feelings, in their emotions, and how do you support people when they come to you and say, you know what, I, I, I feel so much pain or I feel so much anger and, and, and this all sounds so, so good for somebody else, mm -hmm. but what about me? Right. I would say this about, and I've done a lot of work in the area of mind, emotions, and body, first as a coach and then uh, in other areas of life. And we can control certain things in life. For example, we can control our efforts. We can't control the outcomes. But by making a good effort, we increase the odds of reaching or moving toward our desired uh, out outcomes. We can control what we do. If I said to somebody, touch your nose with your fingertip, they could probably do it unless they had a disability. Uh, so we can control how we behave, how we act. We do not control by our will what we're feeling. Feelings are like the weather patterns of the body. Emotions change all the time. In some periods of our life, emotions are quite difficult and painful in relationships in other areas. Uh, other times, they're much better. And same with thoughts. We don't have a spam filter in our head. We can't control what thoughts pop into our awareness. So that's why I encourage people to accept their thoughts and feelings, whatever is arising, positive or negative, because it'll change all the time, as natural to them in the moment. They don't have to fix it, run from it, fight it. Just accept what they're feeling and thinking. And meanwhile, focusing on what, do I, what needs doing? What is my purpose right now? And focusing on that. Because the better we function in life, getting things done tends to help shift those emotions into more positive modes. You know, I, I, I'm reading a quote of yours, and it reminds me of an actual therapeutic technique. I think it was developed or written about in the 70s, perhaps early 80s, called emotional surfing. And you write, we learn to ride the shifting tides of emotion like skillful surfers as we grasp the great truth that we don't need to feel compassionate, peaceful, confident, courageous, happy, or kind we need only behave that way. Now, that's one of the most controversial, excellent sleuthing there, Lisa. Yes. That's, that's one of the most controversial things I teach. People say, what do you mean you don't have to feel those things? Well, listen, I could tell people to feel all those things and good luck uh, because feelings change all the time. Um, if I were to say to your listeners, oh, would you feel terrified just for a moment now? They'd sit there trying to work it up, but you know, you feel whatever you feel in the moment. Um, so... That's why I focus more on behavior. 
Yeah. Uh, if I behave in a, a kindly fashion, if I behave in a compassionate way, if I behave with confidence or courage, that's going to bring something real into the world. But just trying to drum up the feelings, well, that's really a tough go. Well, and there is something about acting as if, you know, that it used to be thought that um, our actions will follow our emotions. Well, if we just think happy thoughts, we'll become a happier person. But what we know now about neuroscience and through positive psychology, that it is going out there and rolling up your sleeves and actually doing things that generate more positive emotion that then repatterns and rehabituates the brain. Agreed. And this is such a a great way to support people through change because changes can be – change is hard. It's challenging. You know, we get stuck in our own ways and some of us really kind of are wedded to our suffering. You know, life comes at us in waves of change uh, and we can't predict them or control them, but we can learn to surf as you brought up. Yeah, and and, and to – teach somebody about surfing those emotions like what you say that the feelings that we have are undeniable they're unimpeachable they are sure. they are our feelings yes but do we have to listen to everything that we think and feel well that's the question you know um uh somebody once said what what you're thinking is none of your business <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> thoughts come and go and, and it's, it's, it's seeping into the popular culture we're starting to realize that it's not all about positive thinking and fixing our thoughts and having positive thoughts I often ask audiences raise your hand if you've read a book on positive thinking and everybody's hand most of the people's goes up and I say great now raise your hand if you've only had positive thoughts for the last say week or two all the hands go down and we all laugh and I say, well, but if you believe if you'd read the book twice, if you'd highlighted it and done all the exercises, maybe you'd be having more positive thoughts. Well, I'm saying that may be um, not a fruitful avenue to try to think positive thoughts more, try not to have negative thoughts. Uh, rather than that, allow our thoughts to relax into them. Thoughts come and go. Yeah, sometimes they're nice. Mine too, same thing. Sometimes positive, sometimes negative. But And emotions, same thing. Uh, sometimes I feel a little bored, a little good, excited, um, a little sorrowful. Things change. And if we just allow them to be, and meanwhile, yeah, what do I need to do right now? This describes people who function well in life, athletes, uh, people who get the housework done, whether they're feeling depressed or related, um, end up with a clean house at the end of the day. So that's why I know it sounds a bit radical because most of us deep down we're looking for a way to feel good more of the time and feel bad less of the time totally human and understandable but if we focus more on uh, what do I need to do now we find our life kind of coming together becoming more constructive and that tends to uh, bring more sense of satisfaction and fulfillment at the end of the day you know I get up in the morning and I do a little exercise uh, at my seminars and online I teach I have a, uh, at my website peacefulwarrior.com I have a um, an online course the peaceful warrior workout it's a four minute workout and I've been teaching this and doing it every day for 30 years and what a way to wake up in the day I start my day right. Every day I get up, I do my four minutes, and I say, I already started my day on a positive note. But it's something I do. It's not trying to sit there and feel good. Yeah, it's it's action. You know, it's you can have the intention to change, but the only way that change occurs is when we put attention and action to the intention. 
Yep. I, I recommend to people dream big, but start small and then connect the dots. Beautiful. I want to talk about something that I found um, enticing and curious in your latest book, The Four Purposes of Life, Finding Meaning and Direction in a Changing World. And that is the third purpose, which involves an interesting system. And I'd love for you to share with our listeners what that is. Well, one way to share it, and I think the most meaningful in the time we have, is um, to mention my website again, peacefulwarrior.com, because your listeners can go there, see, they'll see a link, Life Purpose. Click on that, they'll see a Life Purpose calculator. They've just put in their date of birth, day, month, and year, and they will immediately see, they'll see a number, it won't mean much, the number to them, but there's some words associated with these numbers, and there's about a paragraph, a taste or a teaser, dealing, addressing the core issues of their life. Now, a listener might say, well, wait a minute, how can just putting my date of birth in give me valid, reliable, accurate information about the core issues of my life? It's not possible. But believe me, I've worked with this for over, well, almost 30 years now, and um, it's extremely accurate. Uh, I don't presume to know each person individually. There are 43 different life paths for people born since 1900, and if I were to point to a tree outside, chances are there's not a single tree on the planet exactly like that tree. But I can say things about redwood trees, birches, aspens, or oaks that are different. In that same way, each of us is working a certain pattern, what I call the life path. And so people can find just a teaser, a little bit about it. And there's, of course, more I, I go into in that third purpose, finding your life path in the four purposes of life. I go into what each number means. And based on your birth number, you can read a lot into that. I have another book I won't go into now, but it goes into detail. It's one of my best-selling books um, about people's life path. And it can lend a lot of clarity, help us to be more compassionate with ourselves and with other people. Well, I did the exercise, I, yep. and I was completely fascinated and, and, and a convert. I, I don't know that I was completely skeptical. I think that I was curious when I, when I read that chapter and mm-hmm. curious when I, when I did it and found the equation. We are out of time, so I want to kind of tantalize our listeners and really urge them to go to the website PeacefulWarrior.com to learn more about this. But I'll leave you or leave our listeners with, with the notion that I am a number seven. I'm, uh-huh. I'm trust. Uh-huh. And um, that's what I'm working on, you know. And I, 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 I can't say much more because we could go another hour talking about this. Oh, sure. So I want to, once again, let our listeners know that you have been listening to my wonderful conversation with Dan Millman. He is the author of The Four Purposes of Life, Finding Meaning and Direction in a Changing World. He has written several books. Uh, One of the most familiar to me is Way of the Peaceful Warrior. It was also made into a film. And you can find out about him, his books, his seminars, his workshops, his online classes at PeacefulWarrior.com. On Twitter at PWDan and on Facebook, check him out, Dan Millman. There is a fan page. Thank you so much, Dan. You have been an absolute delight and treasure. It's mutual. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. 
We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Remember what it feels like to receive a gift? We all know nothing gives happiness like a present, so you should unwrap yours at harvestinghappiness.com and sign up to receive your free ebook, Got Happiness Now, that offers simple, user friendly ways to get greater happiness in your world each and every day. That's harvestinghappiness.com. Lisa Cypress Kamen has built an impressive global lifestyle management consulting company offering applied positive psychology, mindfulness, and integrated well-being coaching. Her services, including addiction and trauma recovery support, as well as life crisis triage, are available worldwide through phone, video, and on-site. In addition, Lisa delivers workshops, lectures, and trainings to corporations and institutions and is a frequent guest expert on many prominent radio and TV shows. Connect with us at Harvesting Happiness for more information. Harvesting Happiness for Heroes is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation offering innovative and integrated stigma-free combat recovery services to veterans and their loved ones with programming that focuses on the transformation of post-traumatic stress into post-traumatic growth using scientifically proven positive psychology coaching tools and strategies that increase self-mastery, self-awareness, and self-esteem to help heal the invisible wounds of war. To make a tax-free charitable contribution or to learn more, please visit visit hh4heroes.org. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? It's kind, it's free, it's legal, sharing is caring, and it's available 24-7. We are talking about life purpose. We're talking about entrepreneurship. So our theme, know your purpose and make it happen through attention, intention, action, and of course, repeat often. My next guest... He's a very cool guy already. We, we've had a brief chat, and I'm already in, in love. His name is Steve Robbins, and he is an expert in careers, productivity, and entrepreneurship. Steve creates programs to help people live an extraordinary life. He's a serial entrepreneur, executive coach, executive curriculum designer. Steve also hosts the widely popular Get It Done Guy podcast. He's the author of It Takes a Lot More Than Attitude to Lead a Stellar Organization and Get It Done Guy's Nine Steps to Work Less and Do More. He's got lots of other things that he's written and lots of other things that he has done and is doing, and I want to talk with him about it. Welcome, Stever. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you. And and let's talk a little bit about what we're what we mean by living an extraordinary life, because people sometimes misconstrue that for a grand life or grandiosity in one's life. And that's really not what you're talking about, is it? That really is not what I'm talking about, no. 
what I noticed when I turned 30 is that an awful lot of my friends got boring. And I'm not sure how it happened. At first, I had the water supply checked and so on and so forth. But uh, uh, it turned out that it didn't seem to be any externally weird chemical means, but it was largely related to people's professions and to the way that they spent their life and essentially to the degree that they let themselves get sucked into a routine and sucked into the stereotypes of, you know, how their life should be lived. And a lot of people put their lives on autopilot. And and it was almost as if they were just, okay, you know, now it's time to just just turn the crank until I die 40 years from now. And mm. I thought that really kind of sucked. And so uh, about 10 years later, when I was um, turning 40, I called a whole bunch of the people that I had been to school with and essentially said, tell me about your life. And what I discovered is the people who were still active and vibrant and engaged in things had largely abandoned a lot of the conventional wisdom about how to live your life and had instead made different choices. And what those choices led them to was not a life that was just a day-after-day routine, perhaps with a nagging feeling that something was missing, but a life where they were actually out there actively engaged doing the stuff that, that really turned them on. So they were excited to get up every day and go leaping out of bed into whatever world they had created for themselves. And really, that's what I mean by an extraordinary life. It's a life that you don't like to sleep because sleep takes you away from the awesomeness that is your life. Oh, I love what you just said. I think that's a tweetable. Oh my gosh, you're so good. Thank you. <laughs> that's, that's, that's why I have a popular podcast, he said, preening slightly and with false yes. modesty. Printing and you know I'm doing that little angelic you know hand under chin for you because you know those are pithy words my friend you are a creative guy clearly I mean in addition to having an elite education you are the co-writer and lyricist of the musical Work Less and Do More talk a little bit about that that sounds like fun it it started as a joke when my book, which was the Get It Done Guys, which is the Get It Done Guys: Nine Steps to Work Less and Do More, was coming out. I had, for bizarre reasons, I discovered musical theater about the time that I was preparing for the book launch, and I had this extremely intense desire to learn how to be a musical theater performer. And we're not talking professional level here; we're you know we're talking community theater level, which I had never done before. And and I was talking to a friend of mine and. He was saying, you know, oh, so you are you excited for your upcoming book launch? And I said, no, I'm going to have to go around and talk about productivity. And what I really want to do is learn how to be a musical theater performer. Gee, wouldn't it be kind of cool if I had a show, a musical theater show that I could present that actually could double as a keynote for the book? You know, something that like has as much business content as a book on productivity, but as much drama and excitement as, as something on Broadway? And my friend just looked at me and he said, um... Steve, you do know what I do for a living, right? And I said, yeah, I do indeed. You're a journalist. And he said, no, I'm not a journalist. And if you've read anything I've ever written, you would know that. I am a musical theater composer, and I compose for Off-Broadway, and I teach musical theater composition at NYU. Well, <laughs> I thought about this for a minute. I said, oh, that's interesting. And then the next day, I sent him a little email and said, so, um... You want to collaborate on a show with somebody who has never even seen a script, much less written one? And he wrote back about three seconds later and said, absolutely yes. Oh, now, wow. That, that's how it came about. And what it is, it's an hour-long show. It's designed to be done as a business keynote. And it's all about personal productivity. But it's also about raising a zombie army to take over the world. And 
And when you decide to do this, it turns – I mean there's a lot of complexity because zombie – in the movies you see zombies as if they can just shamble out of nowhere and shamble wherever they want, right? Totally unrealistic. Zombies are made out of rotting flesh. Put them in the hot sun and they dissolve. So you need to have refrigeration units. You need to have formaldehyde treatments. You need someone to run behind and pick up the body parts that are falling off and reattach them to the right zombies. There's a tremendous amount of logistics and coordination. And the zombie general, or actually he's a human general of a zombie army in the show, is well aware of that. So he wants to have a very productive, organized zombie army. And as he starts the orientation lecture for the latest batch of recruits, something unexpected happens. And he ends up with a 1953 secretary named Jean, who was the number one secretary in the steno pool, who <laughs> uh, has appeared uh, – she got caught in a pencil case through an industrial accident. And she just got released from the pencil case and she's here to help him do whatever his goals are. And her, her little tagline is, you know, Mr. Robbins – uh, Mr. Robbins, my job is your success. And what the show is about, it's about the zombie army. It is about how Gene and the general learn to be – to work together and learn to support each other in their mutual goals. And ultimately, what happens to the zombies? What happens to Gene? What happens to the general? Do they get what they want? Do they even know what they want? And it's a great show. And if you would like to see a five-minute promo of it, you can go to worklessanddomore.com. That's worklessanddomore.com. And there is a replay link at the very top of the page. And it will show you a five-minute video that, uh, that I produced with two professional musical theater actors. So even though it was made for me to perform, you don't actually have to watch me perform it. You can watch someone who can sing <laughs> um, very, very well, in fact, uh, perform it. And it's a five-minute promo, and it actually gives you excerpts from three of the songs in the show, each of which gives you an actual tip that you can walk away and use even just from the promo. We give the full tip in the promo. This is fantastic. And what you just shared is uh, illustrative of an extraordinary life. Here you're taking all the elements that make you uniquely and brilliantly you and blending them to not only um, have a life of purpose and meaning, but really to teach others to embrace the same. And this is, this is fabulous. And this is, this is what the next generation needs. I mean, these kids that are growing up today that are frightened, you know, they don't, they, they're worried about where they're going to find their place in the world. And here's how you do it. You follow Steve Robbins. You know, and I'll tell you, if, if you're a young person struggling with what your place in the world is, hear these words of wisdom. Global warming is probably just going to accelerate to the point where you're going to die in some horrible flood 20 years from now. So I'm like, live for the moment, man, because <laughs> planning for retirement may be a lost cause at this point. How's that for cheery? Che cheery and upbeat. Ouch. Ouch. No, 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 no. And the eternal optimist over here is saying, you know, go out and rock your world and believe, you know, have the will to believe that that is not going to happen. But you might want to have a blow up dinghy just in case. Exactly. Exactly. A solar, <laughs> a solar powered blow up dinghy. Exactly. And, and um, we won't say how we're going to power our cell phones because that might be the scary part. You know, I'm just saying not... zombie parts, dried out zombie parts can be burnt. Well, sorry, that's too much information. Yeah. T TMI, TMI. Let's talk about um, cultural career lies. This is, this is good. And there are a zillion of them, no? Oh, yeah. You did your research. I didn't send that to you as a talking point. 
Oh, no. Well, we I have a great producer. You know, I'll just give a shout out to Andrea Mingeli. You know, I don't often bring up her name, but she she is amazing. She, you know, she introduced me to you. So she's rocking. Oh, it's, I, I like her already. Yeah, she's good. She's good. So c- cultural career lies. Yeah. Cultural career lies are the things that we tell people about the way that careers work, which are really, really pleasant cheery stories that we really, really want to believe. But as far as I can tell, they aren't actually related to the way the world works. So, for example, one of my favorite ones is work hard and you'll get ahead. Now, mm-hmm. the, this is very pernicious because during the first 18 to 24 years of our life, it is true because in school, getting ahead is really just a matter of working hard. And if you work hard, you will be appropriately rewarded. And then school, so you have 18 or 24 years of total reinforcement for this rule. And then school bounces you out into the real world where things like politics, nepotism, the ability to promote yourself, the ability to feign confidence, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all become huge factors in people's careers. Simply luck being in the right place at the right time. You know, if you ask me, would you rather be lucky or would you rather be super smart and capable? If, the, if what we're talking about is career success, the answer is I'll take luck every time. Yeah, right, huh? Yeah, and yeah, I, I was once, oh, this was so sad. I, it was cute but and sad. I was uh, doing a, a segment on critical thinking for, oh boy, I need to get this right because if I get the wrong name, I think it was Simon & Schuster uh, or Harcourt Brace. Anyway, for a publisher, I was doing a segment on critical thinking for a publisher where it was me and a group of high school students. And we were talking about about how do you think critically? And so I would give them a statement and I would say, what would you do to verify this statement? How would you actually break the statement down and find evidence for it? And when I got to the statement, work hard and you'll get ahead, the students looked at me and they actually said, they said, you don't need to break that down and and prove it because it's it's so obvious that that there's absolutely no way you would even be able to prove it because it's like gravity. It's just there. Mm-hmm. And the students were so earnest. The production staff on the other side of the, on the other side of the one way mirror were rolling on the ground laughing, just going, you know, ha ha ha, they'll learn. So one of the one of the pernicious career lies is the hard work lie. Um, you know, another pernicious career lie is about loyalty. And this is one that I think has got to be hardwired into our genetics because it makes no sense if you watch a, a lot of people. I have a friend right now who wants to quit their job and they're at a job where they have been consistently mistreated. They have been given far more work than any human being could do. They've been given no support, etc. And my friend has found a new job that will hopefully be incredible and amazing and so much better and has given notice, etc. And the question my friend is wrestling with is, how long after he leaves his current job will he have to still keep doing work for them for free to clean everything up before he leaves? And, and I, I, I just I can't fathom that question. And I ask him why. And he's like, well, you know, I mean, I, I feel a sense of responsibility to them, which is amazing because they felt no sense of responsibility to him during the entire time he was there. That's why he's leaving. Mm. And we, we seem to have this belief that one should automatically have a sense of responsibility towards one's employer. And in fact, if you look at the way whistleblowers are treated, right, a whistleblower is somebody who points out that the organization that they're in is being a bad, is behaving badly. 
And instead of people celebrating that and going, yay, isn't that amazing? People go, oh, that person's, you know, an evil person, which I find a fascinating attitude because, gee, they're an evil person because they're pointing out to us that somebody is cheating and breaking the law. Like that makes no sense at all. But uh, but anyway, that's another big career lie is the lie of loyalty. Steve, I'm going to have to be evil and break in here and, and Ooh, evil okay. and, and responsible and take us off to break for just a brief pause and another good laugh together. But to learn more about the fabulous Steve Robbins, please visit his website, steverobbins.com. On Facebook, he is Get It Done Guy. And on Twitter, that handle is at Stever777. Here comes no, no, the no, no. What's that? Opposite. <laughs> With uh, Facebook at Stever77 and Twitter, it's Get It Done Guy. Well, there you go. Dancing off to break. We'll be right back. Here come the two. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Lisa Cypress-Kamen author of Got Happiness Now, is also a prestigious TEDx presenter. Her talks, The Mysteries of Fear and the Inversion Theory of Joy, can be found online at TED.com and on the Harvesting Happiness YouTube channel. Be a part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the medical center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Check out the critically acclaimed documentary film, H-Factor, Where is Your Heart? An insightful visual journey from Lisa Cypress-Kamen, showing that every person possesses the means to be happy. Follow Lisa and her nine-year-old daughter, Kayla, as they travel the world on the hunt for the universal keys to human happiness. Their question? What makes you happy? Discover the origins of human happiness, where to find it, create it, and keep it. Find it in our shop at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. We were talking with Steve Robbins about getting it done. We're talking about uh, also cultural career lies. And at the break, Steve and I were talking about a, a really, really good one. Steve, take it away. Well, the cultural career lie that's one of my favorites is the, is the myth of self-made people. I was giving a presentation once at a conference and the person who was opening for me was, um, I'm spacing on his name. His last name is Kraft. He owns the New England Patriots, Bob, Robert Kraft. And 
they introduced him and they said, Robert Kraft is a self-made man. At the age of 16, he got a scholarship to go to college and he went to scholarship and then he teamed up with blah, blah, blah people and they provided the funding for his first venture where he had 4,000 employees, which exploded into this giant mega national blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting here listening to this story and I'm going, there's not a single part of this that's self-made. If you yeah. ever want to know if you're a self-made person, shut off your sewer main for a week. And I guarantee you, you will discover very quickly that you are not self-made by any stretch of the imagination. Each one of us depends on thousands and thousands and thousands of people just for our basic daily life so that we have the ability to spend our time thinking about things other than how am I going to turn the tap on and get water. This is a good thing. But what this means for your career, so much of our emphasis up through school and, and high school is really on individual achievement. That's how we're graded largely. And there may be some group projects here and there. But the skills that we're taught are all individual skills. They're all skills of how do you do stuff better. And if there is any single skill that I would say develop, 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 it's the ability to form relationships with people that, that you can use to help them get ahead and to help you get ahead so that you can all lift each other up. Because that, in my mind, is the true miracle of human beings is that we can work together, not that we have some magical power to be able to work separately. And deeper than that, at the heart of human happiness, actually, is the fact that that interconnectedness, that ability to to be with and connect with someone from the heart, and very much a tribal mentality. And you and I mentioned this on the break, you know, we are like uber, super duper primal as humans. I mean, this is how we operate best is in that state of interdependence. Um, that's what creates happiness. I mean, that's, that's, that's where it's at. That is absolutely where it's at. And all of the research shows that at the end of your life, the things you care about are the relationships you have, and all the rest of it becomes far less important. Indeed. Indeed. Let's talk about some of the best time management strategies. Let's give our listeners some tips on how to get it done smarter, not harder. Boy, I'll tell you, the number one time management strategy, as far as I'm concerned, is the 80-20 rule. It's every morning looking over your to-do list, looking over all the things you could do, asking yourself, what is most important for me to do today? And then what is the 20% of items, or usually less, on my to-do list that will give me 80% of the progress towards that goal. And if you just stop and ask that in the morning and then identify what are the most important things to work on, that alone will focus you in a direction that a lot of times it's just easy to get knocked off of. And this 80-20 rule also allows for flexibility. I mean, this is is sort of another one of those myths that people um, think of that, you know, Productive people are getting everything done all the time. They possess absolutely so much discipline that they're able to drive everything that they do home. And when, in fact, that's not really the case. The most productive people have the grand ability to flow with life. Uh, They do. And in particular, to jump on opportunity when it arrives. One of the things that I found out, unfortunately, by being a vaguely literal-minded geek, which is I set out a 10-year plan and then I followed it. Boy, was that a mistake. Because it turns out when you set out a 10-year plan and you follow it, that might work great for medical school. But for a life, what happens is that your 10-year plan is only as grand as the vision you have when you formulate the plan. And then um, what happens is you get older and your priorities change and better opportunities come along. 
And if a better opportunity comes along and you think, well, but I have this plan and I'm seven years into it, so I have to stick to it, you end up missing the great opportunity. And instead, you go after the thing which seven years ago you thought was a good idea because seven years ago you didn't realize this other great opportunity would come along. So the ability to recognize opportunity, to jump on it, in other words, to actually know what to do when the opportunity arrives, to have something that you can offer so that when you get involved in it, other people value you being involved, and the ability to structure a deal or some way to get the money out of it because it's no good to jump on an opportunity unless you actually get part of the benefit. Those four skills in my mind are absolutely critical foundational skills if you want to live not just an extraordinary life, if you really want to live any life that isn't being buffeted around by the the external forces that that have nothing but evil intentions at their heart. <laughs> you know, I'm, I want to add two more that just come to mind for me as you're talking, and that is open-mindedness and curiosity. Oh, yeah. Well, how are you going to recognize – how are you going to recognize opportunity unless you have those things? Yes. Yes, but it's important to articulate because it's this is not something that's taught, right? I mean, we don't learn no. this in school. Okay, kids, take out your book and go to page 10. We're going to learn about how to be open-minded today. No, we're not. And in fact, we're taught in a lot of ways, we're taught the opposite because what we're taught is listen to what an authority figure told you was true and then and then that's the truth. Don't challenge it. And yeah. it takes it takes really excellent teachers and a great supportive environment to make sure that what you get out of school is really an, a, a sense of broadened curiosity and like better things to ask about and deeper ways to understand the world versus just, oh, I have substituted, I have taken all of my childhood creativity and instead turned it into just, you know, rote repetition of the status quo. Mm, not so much fun. No, definitely not. Let's talk about when to say no, because no is a, is a big part of productivity. I mean, we, we're all taught, you know, we want to say yes, we, you know, be, be open, say yes. And yes, we want it to say yes to life. But we also want to know or possess enough discernment to know when it's time to say, no, I can't do that or I won't do that. Absolutely. The best, the short answer is say no whenever you want to, whenever you don't want to do something, say no to it. That's the actual answer. Unfortunately, that's too trivial an answer, and it's not very useful. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, f- oh, no, I, you know, just just what you said really though taps into intuition. You know, when you want to say no, it's a lot of the time, not a hundred percent of the time, because that little voice is, is inside of us that we all possess is saying, "Uh oh, wait a minute here." Oh, that's that's true. But you're assuming you're assuming intuition. I'm a geek. I, it's only been very recently that I've been able to hear the little voice. I kept the little <laughs> voice locked up in this tiny glass box where it would go, help me, help me, help me. But I couldn't hear it, so I couldn't help. Uh, <laughs> well, you were too busy so, being plugged into the devices. It, it, oh, exactly. Oh, don't even get me started on that. I think I happen to think, and this is going to be a shocking statement from someone who actually helped build some of the backbone in the Internet back in the 1980s. I actually think the Internet is going to be what brings down Western civilization. The things that it's doing to our relationships, the things that it's doing to our psyches, our inability to concentrate, our inability to get anything done because, because the whole business model of the Internet hinges on interrupting you and forcing you away from what's important. I mean, it's just – it's amazing. But that's a different topic. Oh, that's a different show. And actually, you and I could could probably rock that for several hours because, you know, I, I work on the soft side of life, you know, right? Psychology and this is the touchy-feely 
textural stuff. And I see this every day with, with people I work with, you know, that they're so distracted by, they're so digitally distracted that they don't even know what's going on at home, home being the body. And when you are plugged into your device, you can't hear the voice, just as you said. Oh, yeah. Well, and there's even more subtle things. One of the things I really want to see a study on, I have a theory that if you, ha- if you have two people sitting side by side reading a book, they will still be in unconscious communication. One of them will shift and the other one will shift. You have this back and forth nonverbal dance that isn't even necessarily at the level of consciousness. However, when one of the people is plugged into a cell phone instead, those are interactive devices and they synchronize their body to the device, not to the other people in the room. So in fact... Uh, now, like I said, I want to see this proven. This is something that I've I've noticed, but you know, I <clears throat> you, you really need to do a study to to verify this. But if this is true, what that means is the device is literally taking you out of the room. And yes, it actually is better to sit and read quietly with somebody. You will be more connected than if you both sit on your cell phones next to each other. But so the ultimate GPS is the one that resides in in our bodies. It's not in Garmin or any one of these other other products out there. You know, it's um it's amazing. And we and we, we and and there are some studies that have been done. And I will share with you a little bit about what I know, you know, and maybe after the show cuz we're almost out of time. Oh no. Uh, oh no. Oh well, no, okay. we're not done yet. We, we don't have to wrap completely yet. So don't don't leave me yet cuz I want to just very quickly ask you how did you come to uh, be the get it done guy, how did that moniker attach itself to you? All right. Well, I, I'm. Can I do a quick plug for something on my website because this you, will th- make it clear. Hun, <laughs> we are plugging you all the way here. All right. So if you go to steverrobbins.com forward slash l e l, which stands for Living an Extraordinary Life, you can download and listen to the audio and the slides of my Living an Extraordinary Life speech. I did a three-year experiment where I took the different cultural career lies and I reversed them. And I said, let me live according to the opposite of the lies. And what happened when I did is all this random weird synchronicity stuff started to happen. And... Uh, I wrote a fan letter to the get it, uh, to um, Grammar Girl. She had this podcast on grammar, and she made it interesting and fascinating. Wrote her a letter saying, "If you ever want to do a business podcast, please think of me. Here are my ideas." And the letter got to her just as she was going into the meeting to choose what the next podcaster would be as part of her network. And the rest, as they say, is history. That was nine years ago, and it's been going strong ever since. Wow. Fabulous. Steve, you've been an absolute delight. Once again, I want to give the contact information to our listeners. The website is steverrobbins.com. The Facebook handle is stever777 and Twitter at getitdoneguy. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guest today, Dan Millman and Steve Robbins, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with TogiNet and KBUU and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange. Go out and rock it. 
Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new broadcast and continue to harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on iTunes and SoundCloud. To learn more about Lisa's global practice as an applied positive psychology coach specializing in lifestyle management as well as addiction and trauma recovery services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness.